Greetings. Murder and ghosts. Where are you at? Adams. A podcast about truth. Here. Invite you to enjoy the show. Where are you? Murder and Ghosts in This Life and the Life Ever After. Murder and Ghosts is a podcast detailing true life murderous accounts and the paranormal activity that surrounds them. Host John and Cassandra lead you on a unique journey into the dark and troubling reality of humanity gone wrong and the spiritual effects that linger. Join Murdering Ghosts in this life and the life ever after. And now for the next exciting episode of Murder and Ghosts, I'm John, and tonight's episode titled Episode 32, Unlocking Harry Houdini New Live Ghost Box Session. I figured I wanted to revisit Harry after the responses that we did get last time that I really wasn't expecting after the first time uh, that we had spoken to Harry. So I, I wanted to revisit and uh, ask Harry another round of questions uh, in the third session uh, to see if we can get some uh, more detailed answers uh, to what is beyond. But before we get to that, we've got the Durst Diverse News. <laughs> that tongue tied me. We got the Durst Diverse News. And the first story is How to Kill Your Husband, Novelist accidentally confessed to killing real-life chef-husband, prosecutor said. Nancy Crampton Brophy allegedly killed her husband, Daniel Brophy, uh, who's 63, in 2018. This has come to us from Fox News. The Oregon romance novelist who authored the fiction work How to Murder Your Husband is who is accused of killing her husband in real life, allegedly slipping up and confessed to the shooting by mistake according to a prosecutor. According to the Multnomah Hul- County Senior Deputy District Attorney, wow, that was, a t- that, that was a mouthful, guys, but I did make it through. Sean Overstreet, Nancy Crampton Brody, 71, who is accused of killing her husband, allegedly went into detail about the shooting w- with an inmate who she was living with, according to, the, according to Oregon Live. So she was sitting in her cell and she was telling the story about how her husband was murdered and accidentally slipped up and uh, made a specific gesture stating that I was this far away from him. Uh, That seems like pretty damning evidence to me. She allegedly committed the murder because of impending financial issues and needed the $1.5 million in insurance according to authorities. Nancy Crampton Brophy shot Daniel Brophy in the back and then while he was on the ground, according to police. Nancy Crampton Brophy accidentally made the comment to a cellmate, according to Overstreet, who says that the cellmate should testify after Nancy Crampton Brophy attorney makes their case. And so I guess they're going to go ahead and state their case and then later testimony the cellmate will come up and give their testimony. Now, my, honestly, my first response is, okay, was this an actual slip up in the cell or is this cellmate just making this up because they got a deal like we you would see on TV? Um, don't know. But again, there is speculation, so I, that's what I speculated. Miss Brophy held her arms apart 
like a wingspan and said, I was this far away when the shooting happened, Overstreet said. Nancy Brophy then corrected herself, Overstreet said, and stated that the shooting happened within a close range. So to going from very specific to an approximation after you've already stated the specific. <laughs> uh, oops. The inmate, Andrea Jack Jacobs, told detectives that Nancy Brophy seemed to be embarrassed after making the comment and said their relationship became very awkward. I would think so also. Ms. Jacob reported that it became very awkward, Overstreet said. The defense said during opening statements in the trial that Nancy Crempton Brophy was at a Starbucks when the shooting occurred and also presented messages between the partners that were used in an attempt to show that they were on good terms. But I'm wondering if it shows that their financial stability was also on good terms. Um, I think I would have to say I would think the text message would not contain that type of information. Our next story comes to us out of um, Houston, Texas. I believe it's Houston. And it's 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 just beyond my comprehension that this story let me read this here for you a woman charged with murder accused and this is coming to us from uh, khou 11 uh, woman charged with murder accused of shooting husband to death over another woman uh, of all things i mean sweetheart i i don't love you anymore and he gets shot but it just doesn't make sense so now the man that you supposedly love who unfortunately fell in love with another one is dead and you're going to go to jail for a long time i i, I at this point i really want to make a joke because i can see the funny side of this is is that you son of a gun i put up with you for how many years and all your crap and loved you and nurtured you and gave you everything and and this is how you treat me and so uh, not to be funny but i can see that i guess that is a kind of a funny way to look at the rage that somebody would feel um one aspect but unfortunate is the rage the rage that had to be felt when you were told i, I just i can't fathom that karen stewart 51 is accused of killing her husband Sheriff Ed Gonzalez said her husband was found with multiple gunshot wounds and died at the hospital. Harris County, Texas, a 51-year-old Texas woman has been arrested on a murder charge after telling authorities that she shot her husband after he told her he was in love with another woman, a sheriff's office said. When the deputies arrived Saturday morning at the home in Spring, a man was inside with multiple gunshot wounds, according to the Harris County Sheriff's Office. He was taken to a hospital where he was pronounced dead, the Sheriff's Office said. Karen Stewart has been charged with murder in the death of James Hargrove, according to a complaint filed in court records. Stewart remained in jail Sunday on 75000 bond, and a working number for an attorney could not be found. That's not good. Third story is coming to us out of 
Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. What we know about Emily Rogers, the 23-year-old missing Milwaukee mother found dead in St. Francis. On Tuesday, Milwaukee police asked for the public's help in the search for Emily Rogers, a 23-year-old Milwaukee mother who was last seen April 26th on the city's south side. After a two-day search, officials found Rogers' body in St. Francis. Police have several suspects in custody, and the Milwaukee County Medical Examiner ruled the death a homicide. Here is what we know and what we don't know about the case. Who is Emily Rogers? Social media posts from the family and friends suggest she moved from Texas with her boyfriend several months ago. Her parents are also from Texas, according to the medical examiner's office. Her family and friends have been posting regularly on Facebook saying they are devastated following the news. One person whose relationship with Rogers is unclear wrote on what appears to be Rogers' mother's Facebook account. Emily Marie, what appears to link to Rogers' Facebook account, does not go a day without talking to her mom, Amy Rogers, or me. A GoFundMe page has been created to help Emily, uh, to help Rogers' family with expenses. When did Rogers go missing? Police first reported Rogers missing on Monday, but her status was changed to critically missing on Tuesday. Police used the label critically missing when a person is believed to be in immediate danger. She was last seen on April 26th in the 2500 block of West Beecher Street. It is unclear why she was not reported missing until Monday. Reports on social media originally indicate Rogers' one-year-old daughter was also, also went missing at the, time, at the same time her mother. But police said Tuesday the girl was located safely. A report from the medical examiner's office said Rogers' boyfriend was the last person to see her alive. Where in St. Francis was Rogers found? Her body was found by authorities behind the building at the 1300 block of East Waterford Street in St. Francis. Police have multiple suspects in custody. Rogers' boyfriend is considered a suspect according to a report from the medical examiner's office. He was arrested May 1st under suspicion of a parole violation according to police logs. The journal sentinel is, is not naming the boyfriend because as of Friday afternoon, he had not been charged with a crime. What we don't know, it is still unknown how Rogers died, but police are treating the case as a homicide. How tragic, and yes, uh, they definitely need to consider it a homicide. And I'm glad that they found her one-year-old daughter safe. I will dog ear this one to follow up to see what else we find out about it. Also, I'll give you a brief update. I don't have anything written um, to talk about, but I saw that one of the, I believe it was either an, a, a, a business associate friend, I think he was the banker, um, of Alex Murdaugh is being charged uh, in connection with um, his money laundering uh, problems. Um, so that case is still ongoing, and I think it's just going to snowball and get bigger when they start uncovering all the people that were involved or all the wrongdoing that was involved. Uh, at least that's what my feeling is, the feeling that I get when I think about that. All right, what we're here for tonight, Harry Houdini. This coming from Wikipedia. Harry Houdini, born Eric Weiss, March 24th, 1874, and died October 31st, 1926. 
He was a Hungarian-American escape artist, illusionist, and stunt performer. Noted for his escape acts. I got to thinking that how many of the listeners actually have heard of Harry Houdini or know who Harry Houdini is? And there's, there's more uh, to Harry Houdini than just the escape artist, at least in my opinion. And so deciding to want to go through and, and introduce who Harry Houdini was and then get to a specific aspect of um, who he was and um, his spiritual beliefs and or disbeliefs. And I think that's very important that I would like to present that side of Harry Houdini uh, before we get into the ghost box session. His pseudonym is a reference to a spiritual master, French musician Robert Houdin, H-O-U-D-I-N, 1805-1871. He first attracted notice in vaudeville in the United States and then as Harry Handcuff Houdini on a tour of Europe, where he challenged police forces to keep him locked up. Soon he extended his repertoire to include chains, ropes, slung from skyscrapers, straitjackets, underwater, and having to escape from and hold his breath inside a sealed milk can with water in it. I mean, I'm telling you from my point of view, this guy was, this guy was a badass when I was a kid. Uh, growing up hearing him, seeing, seeing the, the, the old news clips of, of him performing, uh, I was intrigued reading the books. Um, I thought Harry was the man. In 1904, thousands watched as he tried to escape from special handcuffs commissioned by London's Daily Mirror, keeping them in, a, keeping them in suspense for an hour. Another stunt saw him buried alive and only just be able to claw himself to the surface, emerging in a state of near breakdown. While many suspected that these escapes were faked, Houdini presented himself as the Scrooge of fake spiritualists. As president of the Society of American Magicians, he was keen to uphold professional standards and expose fraudulent artists. He also he was also quick to sue anyone who imitated his escape stunts. Houdini made several movies, but quit acting when it failed to bring in money. He was also keen aviator and aimed to become the first man to fly a powered aircraft to, in Australia. Eric was born in Budapest, Kingdom of Hungary, to a Jewish family. His parents were Rabbi Meyer Samuel Weiss, 1820. 9 to 1892 and Cecilia Steiner 1841 to 1913. Houdini was one of seven children. Uh, when Weiss arrived in the United States on July 3rd, 1878 uh, with his mother who was pregnant and his four brothers. The family changed their name to the German spelling of Weiss and Erica became E-H-R-I-C-H. The family lived in Appleton, Wisconsin where his father served as rabbi of the Zion Reformed Jewish Congregation. According to the 1880 census, the family lived on Appleton Street in an area that is known as Houdini Plaza. His magic career. Um, I'll get down to some of his notable stunts. Uh, He had the Daily Mirror Challenge where he was just shackled in his arms and ankles. Uh, there was the milk can escape, Chinese torture, 
cell. Chinese water torture cell. That's a tongue tire. The Chinese water torture cell. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Suspended straight jacket escape. Overboard box escape. Burnt alive stunt. Yeah, that does not sound appealing to me at all. But I guess when I was seven years old and I thought about that, I thought that was, yeah, that's cool. Uh, what I really wanted to talk about, uh, what I find fascinating about his aspect of Harry Houdini is the spiritual side um, and debunking spiritualists. In the 1920s, Houdini turned his energies toward debunking psychics and mediums, a pursuit that was in line with the debunking of stage magi magicians since the late 19th century. Training in magic allowed him to expose frauds who had successfully fooled many scientists and academics. He was a member of the Scientific American Committee that offered a cash prize to any medium who could successfully demonstrate supernatural abilities. None was able to do so, and the prize was never collected. The first to be tested was medium George Valentine of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. As his fame as a Ghostbuster grew, Houdini took to attending seances in disguise, accompanied by a reporter and police officers. Possibly the most famous medium who was debunked was Mina Cardon, C-A-R-D-O-N, was known as Marjorie. Armagamzilla, and I know that I just butchered that name, but... You know what? I'm human. Known as the Spaniard with X-ray eyes, claimed to be able to read handwriting or numbers on dice through closed metal boxes. In 1924, he was exposed by Houdini as a fraud. Peeked through a simple blindfold and lifted up the edge of the box so he could take a look inside it without others noticing. Houdini also investigated the Italian medium Nino Pecoraro, P-E-C-O-R-A-R-O. Yeah, I probably butchered that one too. Who he considered to be fraudulent. Houdini chronicled his debunking exploits in his book, A Magician Among the Spirits, co-authored with C.M. Eddy Jr., who was not credited. These activities compromised Houdini's friendship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Doyle, a firm believer in spiritualism during his later years, refused to believe any of Houdini's exposés. Doyle came to believe that Houdini was a powerful journalist medium and had performed many of his stunts by means of paranormal abilities. That's, that's wicked. That part of the story I do not remember uh, hearing about. And so I think I don't know. My first instinct was to say, hey, I think I need to ghost box Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But I, I don't think I'll make that production leap segment inking it yet, just yet. Uh, I will put it under advisement. How's that? Doyle became, came to believe that Houdini was a powerful spiritual medium and had performed many of his stunts by means of paranormal abilities and was using these abilities to block those other mediums 
that were that he was debunking. Ooh, that's a nice plot twist. This disgrace, this this disagreement, led to the two men becoming public antagonists, and Sir Arthur came to view Houdini as a dangerous enemy. Before Houdini died, he and his wife agreed that if Houdini found it possible to communicate after death, he would communicate the message, Rosabella, believe. A secret code which they agreed to use. Rosabella was the, their favorite song. Bess held yearly seances on Halloween for 10 years after Houdini's death. She did not claim to have contact though. Arthur Ford, in 1929, when Ford conveyed the secret code, but Bess later said the incident had been faked. The code seemed to have been such that it could be broken by Ford or his associates using existing clues. What another plot twist. Evidence of this effect was discovered by Ford's biographer after he died in 1971. In 1936, after the last unsuccessful seance, on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel, she put out the candle that she had kept burning beside a photograph of Houdini since his death. In 1943, Bess said that 10 years is a long enough to wait for any man. She was done at that point, it sounds like to me. This I did not know was the case, that a, the tradition of holding a seance for Houdini continues. Held by magicians throughout the world, the official Houdini seance was organized in the 1940s by Sidney Hollins Radner, a Houdini aficionado. Very Houdini, I would like to communicate with you again. Harry, I will focus on the frequency Harry, will you communicate with me again? Harry, can you tell us about where you are? Harry, did you know this Harry, did you know this when you were in this frequency? Harry, will you ever live in this dimension again? Harry Houdini, is it true your knowledge is infinite in the dimension you are in? Harry, I feel that it is your choice to experience whatever frequency that it is you want. Is that true?
Is there a frequency that you prefer to resonate in, Harry? Is it true that you are everywhere at all times? What frequency must I resonate at in order to establish an open communication channel? Harry, thank you for taking the time to communicate with me. Harry, will you communicate again with me in the future? Okay, I did hear some things in there. I can't say that at this moment I heard any particular response, although I did hear um, multiple phrase responses. Um, not very many. I, I did not hear much. I heard some in the beginning. Most of the middle segments, I did not hear anything coming through um, that I could recognize um, listening to it live. But I will definitely go back and analyze that. And at this point, we can now s transition into uh, our spooky magic segment. Um, I think the questions tonight were along that line a little bit, so it'll be easy transition. Uh, that in that I was curious about diving deeper into how to open up those channels of communication. Um, if the energy exists in this dimension in all dimensions at all time, everywhere, it's all interconnected and it's a frequency. At least that's what I could, at this logically I can say, okay, I can understand that. I, I don't have anything to prove it at this point. I think tonight's questions were along that lines that I, I, I want to bridge that gap between this dimension and the next dimension. Um, is it a wormhole? I mean, how do I bridge that gap? I don't know. So I was just trying tonight to go ahead and, and ask some questions and see if that would have an impact uh, in a positive light with my thoughts that I had in this week. And so I'm very excited to go back and go over those responses and see if there's something that we can latch onto and chip away at at this this barrier of not knowing what's on the other side. Um, I, I guess you could say from the time I was a kid that I was curious what happens after we die, and, and being raised in, in a Lutheran environment and going to you know the catechism classes and confirmation and. Um, at the time reading the Bible and, and having thoughts, what's it like? What is it? Trying to, to discern what is after this. And the older that I get, it, it just seems more obvious that there has to be something else. And what could it be? Well, looking at the things that I've learned over the course of my life, it, it it's there's something there. It, I just there's a feeling. There's this, and for me, it's a it's a very peaceful feeling. 
there's nothing to worry about. I don't have any fear. I don't have any anxiety. It's, it's, and I want to know more about it. Why? Why? Because maybe that's just uh, how I'm wired. Um, I think I really want to share this experience with more people than just myself. Um, and that would have to be evident in fact of wanting to do a podcast. Uh, since the podcast became available, I thought it was a wonderful medium and I saw it as a game changer um, because it put the hand into the hands. I think I mentioned this before as well. Uh, it puts this technology as I knocked over my mind, as it puts into the hands of, of, of regular everyday folks, the ability to broadcast a message and not ever having a message to broadcast. I guess this came along at the right time to give me something because what my eyes have been opened up to um, since we started doing this um, is something that I don't think that I would have considered to be possible before because I didn't think about it definitely on a daily basis, but I do now. Um, I do have the opportunity um, that I'm able to come home in the afternoons after doing my job and, and give this time and give it thought and to try and discern what is there, what's in the afterlife. And so the murder and ghosts is, is I think, apropos. The murder of it was more of a hook to get people involved because there's always been a fascination with that, that gruesome act uh, through our, throughout history. And the ghost segment for me was, has always been a fascinating uh, topic but nothing that I ever really thought more about than other than just a fascinating topic. And I think this has all come together and uh, allowed the opportunity to speak about uh, that which I have thought about and I'll dive into it deeper and don't have to do it by myself. Uh, so getting others involved, getting to hear, um, Luke, I haven't forgotten about you. No, that, that's not a Star Wars reference. <laughs> that's listener Luke. And the short family murders, he has a question or a theory. And I need to go back and listen to that tape for Luke. So I'm saying it here on live. I'm doing some production uh, as we're talking. And I will get to that, Luke. Um, spooky magic. I mean, I kind of have fun with the name. It's not really spooky magic in my mind. It's it's. It, I guess it for me it lightens the or introduces being able to introduce and, and for me it's a funny kind of way spooky magic just sounds kind of funny and lighthearted and not taken seriously but I honestly um, keep bringing it up because I, I, I do want to dive in and be able to take it seriously and, and take a, a look at it and give it serious thought and hear what others have to say about it because the more I find and not doing any extensive reading or research or just coming across the things I come across when I think and have thoughts, um, I am finding it fascinating and that there's more and more that, that there's to look into. And so for spooky magic, yeah, it's uh, talking about things that are, what's the afterlife? What happens when you die? Where do you go? What's it like? What kind of clothes do they wear? I really don't care, honestly, not for myself. This has been a, a journey um, really with, with no intent other than what we started out with and just 
communicating with spirits that have passed this existence. No real direction, no real thought, but the more that I do it, the more direction and the more thought that I have, the more focused that I'm becoming um, and wanting to find out what's there and can we bridge that gap from here to there and can we actually get real information that is meaningful that we could use while we're here to to better prepare us for when we are there uh, there's more to it i can just feel that there's more to it with that being said i want to say thanks for joining tonight on murder and ghosts and we'll see you next time let's roll some credits you can find past and upcoming episode information at murderandghost.com. It's quick, and by golly, we really would appreciate your support. You can also find Murder and Ghosts at YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Don't be shy. Log on today. We would love to hear from you.